Christ Church, New Malden, 17th of May, 2020. Nathan Larkin is speaking on how to live in an Easter world when it still feels like Lent. How do we live in an Easter world when it still feels like Lent? This is a question I've been asked a number of different ways over the past few weeks. It was five weeks ago today that we celebrated Easter Sunday, marking the end of Lent and honouring the glorious resurrection of Jesus. And later this week, we'll be remembering Ascension Day, which means that we're coming to the end of our Easter celebrations. But let's be honest. During the past few weeks, despite celebrating Jesus' resurrection, we've all experienced loss. Loss of hopes or expectations. Loss of jobs for some or stability. And some have even lost loved ones. This has been a traumatic time that has left our once familiar world feeling foreign and strange. And in times like these, it's understandable that some may begin to question where God is in all of this. But when I first started to see this question about how we could be celebrating Easter at a time like this, I was struck by how privileged we must be in normal times. I couldn't believe it when I heard suggestions of delaying Easter celebrations until this is all over. I think it simply goes to show how uncomfortable we are in living with prolonged suffering. If Easter can only truly be celebrated when everything is right in the world, then what about our brothers and sisters in Christ in far-flung places, or even closer to home, for whom suffering, poverty and injustice are simply a part of their daily reality? Should they never celebrate Easter? Or how can they relate to resurrection? Well, I didn't grow up with Lent. I knew about it as something that other Christians at school did, but in the Baptist church that I was raised in, we went straight from Christmas to Easter, really, from a long celebration of the Christ child to the celebration of the risen Christ. I never gave it much thought back then, but I'm grateful now for the Lenten time in the desert and the idea of meditating on mortality. Lent should be a season of penitence and self-denial, the goal of which is to prepare ourselves for the joy of Easter to come. But it's often best known these days for the small sacrifices people make, like giving up chocolate or Facebook. This Lent, however, Christians and non-Christians alike were forced to surrender a lot more than sweets. Honestly hadn't planned on giving up quite this much for Lent, were the words of a tweet that rapidly went viral for its simplicity and its resonance with so many of us. We're sacrificing our hugs and our high fives and parties and for some income and the regular ordinary lies we used to take for granted. Nobody chose this sacrifice, but sometimes the sacrifice imposed on us has the most meaning. Despite it being long past the celebrations of Easter Day, it may feel to you like we're still in the midst of that wilderness and darkness. And the truth is that we may need to sit in this uncomfortable space for quite a bit longer. This disease, COVID-19, forces us to fast from physical touch, from connecting with the things we want to do. But I believe that because of these unusual circumstances... Many of us are in a unique position this year to take it as an invitation to go deeper. And this is perhaps a once in a lifetime opportunity for us to ask, both as individuals and as a society, what sort of a life do we want to return to? Of course, it is uncomfortable to linger in a period of suffering, to dwell on the hard times and to reflect on our grief. But there is a value in it. Western society has taught us that it's best to just get over it, not to wallow. Some might ask us to man up, 
or we may even joke about the British stiff upper lip. But our discomfort with engaging with death and suffering can have unexpected consequences. Western culture has been described as death-defying and youth-obsessed. And as a result, people go to great lengths to disguise even the signs of natural ageing. One quick look at magazines and TV adverts supports the truth in that statement. The natural process of ageing is hidden. And so too is the dying process. In fact, this present period of history might best be branded as a revolt against death itself. Yet, only a few generations ago, death and suffering was very much a part of public life. For instance, at the start of the last century, around one in five children would not survive to their first birthday. As a result, just about everyone would have lost a child close to them. A son, a daughter, a niece, a nephew or a grandchild. And as we spent time reflecting on the stories behind the stained glass windows at church not so long ago, it was hard not to notice how many lives were lost too early and in tragic circumstances back then. Death was closer back then. Suffering was familiar. Family members often cared for their dying loved ones at home. Death was not a private loss, but was taken as a blow to all those who survived, both family and strangers. Suffering and death was not something to be hidden. But this is no longer the case. I think a shift occurred in part because of the unprecedented advances in medical science that we've seen over the past 40 years. Healthcare professionals have the knowledge and the technology to prolong life in ways that were previously not only just unattainable, but inconceivable. The reality that death will eventually come for each of us has never changed. Merely our perception of it has. And this is perhaps most clearly demonstrated by the discomfort I am now feeling as I write and anticipate delivering this message, and perhaps the uneasiness that you're feeling listening to someone speaking about death and suffering for such a prolonged period. But there is at least one unintended consequence that rises from our struggle to just sit with the reality of suffering and death. It's that the Christian hope is, of course, for a renewed creation and a resurrected body. But the path to resurrection for Jesus was crucifixion. At Easter, we, we don't simply identify with Jesus in his resurrection, but we're joined to him in his suffering and death as well. That is the pathway to new life. You see, many Christians have been given this false impression that God promises us a life without pain, a life of prosperity and well-being. And because of how our Western culture and churches in this society have developed, you could easily confuse the basic comfort that we are often used to as in some way being linked to our faith in God. But what happens in times like these, when the suffering that we, for so much of our lives, have been able to subcontract and avoid, is brought a lot closer to home? If that was our understanding of the deal that God had on offer, then you could be forgiven for thinking that he was letting us down now. But the truth is that we are never promised prosperity and comfort in this life. In fact, the Bible tells us that if we are to follow Jesus, then we have to pick up our crosses and identify with him in his suffering, as that is the path to new life. So if suffering isn't something that we can avoid, and is in fact a vital part of the Christian journey to new life, then where do we start? How can we even begin to celebrate the joy and the hope of the resurrection when we are still surrounded by so much darkness? 
Well, the first thing I want to suggest today is that we don't run away from our darkest feelings. We heard a reading from the classic Bible story on this topic about a God-fearing man called Job who loses everything despite his godliness. It's possibly the most famous book of the Bible that just sits for a long time contemplating suffering. Job is filled with expressions of grief, and unfortunately, it's also filled with yet more examples of how we humans struggle to deal with the reality of suffering. Job's friends came along with all sorts of suggestions about why these terrible things might be happening to him, and all sorts of recommendations about how he might want to proceed. But none of that was any help to Job. Imagine someone else could give us sound biblical explanations for our suffering. They may be true, but would any of this remove the sadness that you're feeling? Job's friends turn up to try to find a logical reason for his unspeakable suffering. And they fail. In the end, the only thing that helps Job is that after a long period of doubt and anguish, he is finally able to hear God's voice again. Job has lost his old faith, the one that expected that God would always bless the righteous. But he did find a new faith, that in the midst of suffering, God is still there and on his side. It's worth remembering that 2,000 years ago, Christians were still thrown to lions. That less than a century ago, six million Jews and countless other victims of the Nazi terror went to gas chambers. Or that on the 26th of December 2004, a tsunami took a quarter of a million lives in a single day. Perhaps it's easier to believe in God's goodness when all this suffering affects other people far away. But harder when that suffering comes closer to home, affecting us or someone we love. But an important step on our faith journey and it is an uphill step, is to recognise that the whole world is full of suffering and to empathise with its suffering. The step after that is to realise that God won't always answer our prayers the way we want or expect. The book of Job tells us not to waste too much time on working out why these things are happening, but it encourages us to hold on to God as we struggle with pain and bewilderment. As we heard from Becky a few weeks ago from Psalm 23, even if we go through the deepest darkness, we do not need to be afraid, for God is with us. As his friends finally fall silent, God begins to speak to Job. And the Bible's message to us is this, that day will come. Nothing is likely to be sorted out straight away. Perhaps nothing will even be explained in full, but God will speak. And through the fog of confusion and sorrow, we will again be able to hear his voice. It's clear if we look at the example of Jesus' suffering, he underwent the ultimate suffering for the sake of you and I. But that wasn't the end of it. He didn't suffer for suffering's sake. His suffering was for our salvation. It showed us how God loves us. His pain brought us closer to God. And as we are going through these difficult times, when we might be feeling much closer to the darkness of Lent than the joy of Easter, perhaps you could be asking, how might God be providing me an opportunity to grow through this suffering? Suffering in many ways remains a mystery, one that we'll never fully understand this side of eternity. But I really do believe that we can learn from it. So as we finish, here are a few things that we might learn through our struggles. Firstly, we might learn that suffering produces intimacy with God. Job, who endured unspeakable suffering, said, My ears had heard of you, Lord, 
but now my eyes have seen you. Intimacy with God is often born in the furnace of affliction. There's an opening of the soul that happens during these times of stress or troubles. During times of suffering, we experience God at a deep, profound level. Suffering and afflictions are unavoidable. They're inevitable. But they're also a necessary part of life when it comes to our relationship with God. Through our suffering, we are opened up to a deeper understanding of God's love for us, where the difficulty of the suffering can be overshadowed by the blessing of God's grace in our lives. The Bible also tells us that suffering refines us. We can read in Isaiah chapter 48, I have refined you, though not as silver, I've tested you in the furnace of affliction. This verse makes it clear that pain and suffering have a way of bringing our strengths and our weaknesses to the surface. And when the dross floats to the surface, God is offering to skim it off if we let him. So how might you be challenged to grow through this strange and difficult period of life? Because God wants to purify and refine us to be everything that he made us to be. And if we turn toward God in our pain, he can use our suffering to mature our face. We see this biblical truth illustrated when we hear stories of the persecuted church around the world. And once you've heard just a few of their testimonies, it would be hard to deny that suffering can produce beauty and maturity of spirit. But the final lesson that we might learn through suffering is that it can help to shape us into God's image. In Romans chapter 8 we read, God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes for them. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Now, I've heard it interpreted, and we may be tempted to read these verses to say that God will bring good out of everything. But while he can and does redeem pain in our lives, these verses speak of being conformed to God's image through our suffering. When we seek God through his word and prayer, we find Jesus. And remember that Jesus understands our pain because he too suffered. We can read the words that Jesus echoed on the cross from Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the words of my groaning. But did God abandon his son in his hour of need? Well, we find the answer three days later when God raised him from the dead. And because of this promise, we have hope for our future too. So yes, perhaps our Easter celebration has been bittersweet as we celebrate it while separated from family and friends. Maybe as the Easter weeks have passed us by, we find ourselves still wandering in the desert, anxious and overwhelmed. Perhaps we are standing in front of the empty tomb, but the tears of Good Friday are still streaming down our face. But take comfort. In our times of suffering, God is inviting us to a deeper understanding of what it means to be an Easter people. He invites us to ponder the wounds of his glorified body and to offer him our own wounds and to let him redeem them. It's true that COVID-19 plays into some of our deepest fears, being isolated from family and friends and ultimately the fear of death itself. But here is where our Christian faith should come into its own, when all the certainties that we took for granted disappear. Christianity inspires faith that love is stronger than death, and goodness is more powerful than evil. 
Christianity is the trust that on the cross, Jesus drew us into his outstretched arms. And that in the resurrection, God raised Jesus to life. And demonstrating that love will always be stronger than death. The cross shows us that love includes terrible suffering, pain, or maybe even loss. But the resurrection shows that love conquers all. So may we discover at this time that nothing can separate us from the love of God.